Welcome to the Second Reading Podcast from the University of Texas at Austin. The Republicans were in the Democratic Party because there was only one party. So I tell people on a regular basis, there is still a land of opportunity in America. It's called Texas. The problem is these departures from the Constitution, they have become the norm. At what point must a female senator raise her hand or her voice to be recognized over the male colleagues in the room? And welcome back to the Second Reading Podcast for the week of November 10th, 2021. I'm Jim Henson, director of the Texas Politics Project at the University of Texas at Austin. I have to really enunciate the University of Texas at now. At Austin, that's right. um, Given the the new market entrance. Um, Joined this week by Josh Blank, research director of the Texas Politics Project, back again on campus in the liberal arts development studio. It's great to be here. It's fun. It is. Um, I, you know, you feel not that we didn't get really good service via Zoom, but you just feel more coddled in person. I like being coddled, and I get coddled here. <laughs> we know that. So, <laughs> so during the last week, we've uh, been a little busy rolling out the October 2021 University of Texas Texas Tribune poll. The Tribune published a half dozen stories on the results over the last week. Urge you to. Uh, look at that by a wide array of excellent Tribune reporters and writers. But we thought we'd unpack some of them today, more or less from our perspective in terms of sequencing and and what people are interested in. I really love that setup because it's like, you know, I don't really get to speak from my own perspective enough. <laughs> <laughs> right. You know, we just always, yeah, we're always just hold up. Um <laughs> It's so internally. Uh, <laughs> Thank you. For the, thanks for the opportunity. <laughs> you're welcome. So, um, so let's let's do that. Let's start with the issues that have been at the center of the legislative world for the last year. So, we did a battery of questions on. I mean, we did a few batteries of questions related to the legislature. You know, in a lot of ways, the heart of it was, you know, this battery in which we gave people 13 issues. Uh, and policy areas. And in some ways, and we can talk about this, I guess, you know, subtle frames of the issue in a, in a couple of in a couple of areas, and we can talk about the logic of that, and ask people whether they approved or disapproved of how state leaders and the legislature had handled each of the following in the state. And, you know, to be, you know, wonky, which I guess is our prerogative here and in our own in our own little gig here, our own joint, you know, we got a lot, of, you know, I was really, you know, we were both, I think, really happy with the way this turned out in the sense that we got a lot of variants. We got really good spread. There's a lot to be able to read into this, right? Yeah, I mean, I think that's, I mean, that's what's kind of great about something like this. I mean, on the one hand, I think when the legislative session started, we, we took a, an approach that kind of looked like this in a couple different points throughout the process. We're kind of here at the end now and it allows us to look back and and kind of see, you know, in some ways what, you know, in some, you say, what worked, what didn't work, what broke through, what didn't break right. through. And I think in the case of this battery, what's really, you know, most interesting to me in some ways is we asked almost the exact same battery back in June. So we got right. to the end of the regular session. We gave them, I think, 10 of the 13 areas that we that we ended up assessing in October. We assessed with the exact same wording in June. So we can say, okay, you know, they spent an extra, you know, three sessions here, right? right? What did they get out of it? And what you find is that I think at the, at the top level, the most sort of notable thing is that they bought a certain amount of Republican support that was not there. Now, this is not to say it was lacking, 
But what I would say is this, if you look at the Democratic numbers in June, you look at the Democratic numbers in October across most of these issue areas, the shared disapproving didn't really move much. It was almost right. it was pretty much the same, which means, you know, Democrats kind of said, OK, you know, what do you think about how the legislature handled election voting laws? Well, 73 percent disapproved in, in June get to October, 76% disapprove. That's kind of the story among Democrats. Right. Among Republicans, it's, I think it's a little bit more interesting here, right? So we look at, you know, Second Amendment rights, 70% approved in uh, June, 80% approved in October. 57% approved of how the legislature handled and state leaders handled public safety in June, 69% in October. On elections and voting laws, 63% approval to 75% approval. On immigration, board security, perpetual big issue, 62 approval to 73 approval. And so really what they did in a lot of ways was they actually got the approval among Republicans on these key issues to the same level as disapproval among Democrats. Right. But it took a little bit longer. Well, and as we think about that, I mean, there's a lot to be said for that. I mean, I was talking to somebody, to a reporter this morning, and was talking about, I think I used the phrase, something it might have been a little... I don't know, more or less diplomatic than this. You know, it's something like, you know, the perpetually unsatisfiable far right of the of the Republican Party. Uh-huh. What's interesting is you're going through that list and you're talking about those numbers. I'm in my head and, you know, if we had prepared better, I thought about it more, we'd be able to parse this out a little more. But so how much of that was June ended and Republicans felt like there was unfinished business mm-hmm. with the assumption that there's that much cognition going on, sure. that much attention. And what of it was, you know, and what of those things did they get it done and then it, you know, then they sold it, right? Or were, and I, and I think it's a little bit different. You know, I, I was thinking yeah. on public safety, you know, they didn't, they didn't do much. They didn't do all that much in, in the, the interim. In the regular, yeah, right. well, I, I guess in the regular session they did some and then, but then they really brought some of it home on the bail reform. Well, they quote, did, well, remember, didn't they pass the uh, basically the bill that would make it impossible for cities to decrease their police budgets? Right. So, I mean, that's a pretty big one. But I, but, I, but your point is well taken. I think that's it's right. I mean, but 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 they waited to do the the bail thing, right? I mean, the right. bail thing didn't get finished until you know if we're the third just session. So, I think. Yeah, I mean, we could. You know, I mean, there's probably some ways. We I says I'm skeptical that we have the data to parse it out. Right. And I'll tell you, and the reason is just because we're talking about trying to figure out the difference between you know that that ten percent that right. we that we did we didn't observe. In June, that we do observe in in October, but I think the point is important, and I would say I have a, I'll, I'll speculate. Can I speculate? Please. Okay, my speculation is is that the increased attention is what did it, not the substance. Because I think that's the thing. You look and it's like they passed permitless carry during the regular session. They were at seventy percent. They're eighty percent. That has nothing to do with what they did during the special session. I think that had to do with the fact that in a lot of ways. Even if you were paying, like, even if you weren't really paying a ton of attention, there was so much coverage to the fact that the, the legislature was still here. They were still dealing with stuff after they've already done all these other things. I mean, that was kind of the right. tone of the coverage. And so I think more than anything, I think it probably just increased the salience of a lot of this stuff in a session that we've been saying. It's like, and that's the sold it part. Right. right. That, yeah, that's yeah. what I agree. That's the yeah. sold it part. And again, it may not have even been a direct sale so much as the fact that it was just being around and having, you know, again, the legislature's activities continuously talked about for 10 months. Right. Kind of jammed this up. And, and the thing is, it's not because I think necessarily there was a huge number of Republicans out there who were like, oh, I'm disappointed they didn't finish the job or we didn't get right. to, you know, an A plus per se. I think it's actually because they covered so much stuff. It takes time for people to hear about all of it even or even to be kind of made generally aware of it. And we've been kind of dealing with this the whole session. It's like what is a normal voter and not like right. us, not somebody who's reading all this stuff. 
what what were you supposed to pick out of this session if you just kind of like glance at the evening news, you know, a couple things here and there. But by having, again, the conversation go on for so long, I think it sort of probably ratcheted up those numbers from just sort of ambient general awareness. And, you know, I don't, you know, this is where, you know, I I don't feel too deficient because it's not something I'm supposed to know necessarily. Okay. But it would be interesting to have, you know, like Brian Jones or, or Chris Lajan in here mm-hmm. and ask them, like, in your subfield, right? what is the, is, is there, there must be research on this. What is the lag? Right. It, or, you know, or is that construct even correct? Yeah. Right. That basically they pass it, then it takes a while for it to be sold to their base, to their right. constituencies or not. You know, it's an interesting kind of question. I mean, I'm thinking about it just as, as I, we were, I was raising it. Yeah. You know, it would be maybe good to put a grid together and kind of say, okay, how done was this in June? Right. <laughs> right. You know, did they do anything else? Right. And then some rough, you know, and I don't know how we do this, but, you know, some rough estimation of, you know, and then how hard was it sold? Right. You know, and I just don't, you know, I don't, I don't know the answers to most of those questions right off the top of my head. Yeah. I mean, I would say that, you know, just, you know, sort of in terms of thinking about the the work of the selling and whether it's direct or just ambient awareness, you know, negative attitudes among independents went up across that time period on a lot of these issues right. too. So I think that sort of speaks to the ambient awareness piece. If you think about independence as being sort of loosely kind of, you know, usually loosely affiliated with the political system broadly yeah. and you think, well, they learned stuff, and they decided that they liked it less. Well, in our more yeah, in our more derogatory moments, we've called, or I've called. I won't rope you into this, although it's true. Well, you we'll have. see. We, we, you know, we have referred to independence as kind of soft-headed. Oh, but this, I haven't said that. But this is almost <laughs> like a, a positive spin of independence being soft-headed, right? right? That you know, it, I was trying to explain. I was talking to another reporter about this yesterday that. Since it's not mediated, since their responses are not so mediated by partisanship, right. if I might use a crude cognitive model. There we go. You know, it comes in, you know, something happens and they kind of go, they don't go, oh, what do Republicans and Democrats think? Right. They just go, oh, that sounds bad or yeah. that sounds good. Right, right. And right. that's where you are, right? And and so we should, you know, what we need to do, we need to do a, maybe in the next couple of weeks we'll do a podcast on independence. Yeah, that'd be fun. Because we need to write about it anyway, so. Yeah, I think that's a good idea. So, so I mean, you, you spoke to this. So, so what? what's good, what's bad here then? Right. I mean, you know, I mean, I think. On the list overall here. And for whom, right? And for whom, yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, I, I think, you know, taking it at first cut, and we've talked about this a lot of people listen to the, the Tribune podcast. We went through this at some point. Um, you know, in terms of what's good, in terms of what had the highest, you know, level of public approval, the highest approval ratings in this grid, uh, public in not in order. Public safety, election and voting laws, Second Amendment rights. I think that's actually in reverse order, probably. So most popular was Second Amendment rights, followed by uh, public safety, and then although, and then elections and, then, and voting, and, and then election and voting, yeah. and then we have with an asterisk, we have to put immigration and border security. Even though even it was though, it was net negative, it was net negative. But because Republicans are so were you know so impressed, they were impressed. <laughs> they were very impressed. Um, that, Insatiably you know, so. That that has to be like right there, kind of on the bubble. Even though strictly, you know, strictly speaking, only three were net positive. The three I mentioned. Well, that's important. Yeah, it is. <laughs> right, and even those, and even those three. Second Amendment was forty six approved, thirty two disapproved. Public safety forty two thirty. Election voting forty three thirty eight. Again, immigration border security big for Republicans, but forty one forty four overall. Right. So, you know, mixed bag there. Right, and and so you know. Th- but if you think about what the content of those policies were, you know, we were talking mm-hmm. about public safety early and we, 
don't need to rehash what was done with election and voting laws. Um, and then Second Amendment rights almost speaks for itself with with open carry right. or with a, a permitless carry, unlicensed carry, right? Um, that's pretty good if you're a Republican, and those and those majorities were fueled by big Republican super majorities among. Right. You know, it, within those groups. Right. That's right. So 73 percent of Republicans approved on immigration border security, 74 percent of Democrats disapproved. But I mean, this speaks to, you know, to the insatiability of this, you know, this issue. I mean, it's funny. We asked in this in the survey whether, you know, the space is too much, too little or the right amount of border security. Fifty seven percent of Republicans in October of this year said too little. And this is, again, after we've gone over the billion dollar threshold, almost to two oh, billion dollars. Actually, it's almost three. Oh, now it's almost three. Right. If you put if you put everything together, those late, you know, that late supplement right. that got added towards the end of, I think, the third session, we're close to three now. So 57 percent say too little. That's down from 61 percent in August. But they said of this year in February of this year, also 61 percent said too little. In February of 2019, 61 percent said too little. So ultimately, it's not clear to me that like we'll see. I mean, this is, again, one of those lag questions. Right. But whether, you know, Republican attitudes, at least maybe after the campaign season, you know, end up getting, you know, let's say, maybe they'll say, well, we spent about the right amount. Maybe after we have a whole campaign season, right. Republicans campaign on how much money we're spending on border security. But at least in the immediate sense, the demand is still there. Yeah. And I think there's an interesting piece of the context here before we go to the, the bottom three. But, you know, you just can't not talk about immigration and border yeah, security. Yeah, no, it's impossible. Um, you know, the, there's, a, there's an interesting piece of the, of the context here, though, is that because of all of the federal money, mm-hmm. I mean, there's not been a whiff of any sense of fiscal limitations or problems. Well, why would there be? <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> exactly. So, you know, I mean, there's just, I mean, you know, they're holding some of that federal money over for later on, you know, no. if like $4 billion what? is still something like that. Well, and they're saying today, you know, they're closing down like applications to the rent relief program I and mean, there's still a bunch of money in there. I mean, it's sort of, you know, it's what, right. me, what me worry. Well, you know. How many, you know, what is the translation of a, how many months of rent by how many feet of fence? Well, I was, well, was going to say, Barrier. Well, I'll say, you know, you know, who's not getting a tax kickback? <laughs> Renters. And that's right. Brings us to the bottom three. Right. So then the bottom three uh, on this list were property taxes, um, K through 12 education, mm-hmm. and then dead last. And obviously my hobby horse right now, the reliability of the electric grid. Right. And the electric grid numbers, we'll start with that, are just, you know, amazing. I mean, eight, only 18% ap- or, yeah, yeah only 18%, 18% right. approved, only 6% approved strongly, uh, 60% disapproved, 42% strongly. And that's up from 52% in June. Yeah. So, you know, the, the, the window in between in which, you know, there was this whole kind of brief discussion about how, you know, the legislators were bringing, you know, the regulators to task for, you know, the bills that they passed – not looking good. Yeah, and and but you know, I mean, I, the politics of that obviously have been very interesting in terms of where the Republican leadership is, and you know, this was an area where, you know, there was a lot of daylight, natural daylight, not electrically, mm-hmm. not electrically lit daylight between the lieutenant governor and the governor on this. Well, you know, and this is a, something where it's just, I mean, we, you know, we're kind of implying something, or not to be all academic again, but about the role of, you know, elites informing the public opinion. Right. Now, it's all endogenous by which, I mean, they affect each other. You know, the messages and communications of a leader affected by the views of their constituents right. and vice versa. But one of the great social science diagrams of the arrows just, yeah, just going in circles. Going in a circle. But the thing, <laughs> very but, illuminating. But the thing is here, 
here, whereas, you know, there's almost no uh, daylight between Republicans on, you know, let's say immigration on, you know, I would say election and voting. It was pretty for the most part, once you kind of got their, their right. act together, it was certainly, you know, pretty, pretty. Uh, they moved with a lot of this. agreement. Yes. You know, and I would say same thing on the Second Amendment. Once again, <laughs> the lieutenant governor decided so, you know, there hasn't been as much, you know, uh I would say coordinated communication, especially on the electric grid. And what you find is, is that when you look at that number, 18 approved, 60 disapproved, that is not, I mean, it's driven by Democrats, but Democrats didn't change. When we said that the shared disapproving went from 52 to 60, Democrats were at 75 disapproval. They're up to 78. Independents went from 52 disapproval to 61. And Republicans went from 34 disapproval to 45. And approval went from 37 down to 31. So you go from net plus three among Republicans to net minus 14. Yeah. So if there's an issue that's kind of hanging out there, just right. like a turd. Yes. Speaking of keeping things to ourselves, I'll just repeat it the umpteen time. This is such a big time bomb out there. And look, it's uh, it's got a long fuse that may never quite get to ignition. But if it does, I keep trying out different metaphors. Yeah, no, it's it, the bomb. It, it the, want, bom- it, the bomb with a long fuse. I may I may run with that a couple yeah, more times. It, it, it wants a metaphor. <laughs> it does. It needs one. Um, but, you know, it. this is really out there. And I think it suggests that there's some leverage to be had from this and some political hay to be made of it, even if there isn't mm-hmm. another problem. Yeah, I mean— this Because is, there's enough anxiety out there. Well, and I mean, we've talked about this for a while. I mean, to the extent that, you know, I mean, Republicans have the keys to the car. You know, they've controlled state government for two decades— you know, they've controlled, they control both chambers of the legislature. I mean, so when it comes to these sorts of things, like the basic operation of government stuff, there's nowhere to point a finger. Right. And, and again, and, they, and they tried. And they've already fired everybody. Right. So and replaced them. I mean, you've got a completely new public utility commission. Right. You know, they've got new leadership at ERCOT. Um, yeah. No, you know, shrug emoji. I mean, yeah. like, you know, yeah. at, at this point, you know, you, you've got, you know, you've got to say, you've got to, you've got to have some vulnerability to the new appointees and to the policy framework, which you said you were going to do something about, but yeah, you know, maybe so, maybe not. Yeah. Right. Voluntary weatherization. Yeah. Doug Lewin, if you're out there, we'll, you know, maybe we'll have you on. Um, (laughs) We should talk about property taxes for a second. And yeah, we should before we get out. So then property taxes. And, And that's another interesting thing in which what just, you know, what can we assume about public opinion and or what can we assume and what can we surmise based right. on evidence, based on what we've seen? And I think, you know, it's hard not to look at these numbers in the context of the numbers that we've collected on in the past on property taxes. And we have a good long time series on this because, you know, we have been doing this longer than anyone else and more frequently. Yeah. Um. And it's not a pretty picture, it's, but it's a very interesting one, I think, in terms of public opinion and responsiveness. Yeah, it's one of those things where, you know, I've got two data points. You can't draw a trend, but you kind of you want to I want to I want to guess. I want to think about it. So so real quick. So overall, 20 percent approve of how the legislature handled property taxes, 46 percent disapprove. So minus 26 net. The only thing that makes you know that makes that look acceptable is the fact of the electric grid being on this battery. But the interesting thing here, again, is, you know, this goes back to this pattern. You know, Democratic disapproval went from 45 to 48 percent unchanged. Independent disapproval, 42 to 43, unchanged, minus 31 net for both of them. Republican disapproval went from 33 to 43, went up 10 points. So on those other issues where, you know, approval went up 10, here disapproval went up 10. It went from net negative 5 to net negative 14. So only 29 percent of Republicans approve of how the legislature handled property taxes, 43 percent disapproved. 
this is like maybe the most interesting result in the whole thing is you you know we went to the field after they finished the session passed the property tax uh yeah you know bill or last, whatever the last minute eruption of property tax action well, and here's and he, so here's so the, here's the question, right? So we noted at the in June that property taxes were sitting here at the bottom of, of the list when we asked that. I think it was the the worst rated yeah. of anything in the legislature that uh, when we measured this in June, and we're saying, oh, this is kind of sitting here. And then there was some talk about it. Kind of made sense that it would come up again. And then to the extent that they pass this bill, so to, to you know, you're already kind of alluded to our previous research on this, you know, the legislature passed, you know, a small property tax decrease a while back. And why, why, and when I say small, I'm not even, I'm not even criticizing it. It's a big state. Yeah. Even a small property tax, you know, uh, rebate of some sort of increase in, in the homestead exemption is exceedingly expensive. And that's the thing that we tend to find, which is, you know, we ask people, well, would the average amount make, you know, of the rebate make, a, or, you know, the de- decrease in your property taxes make a difference in most families? Overwhelmingly, the answer is, no, because it's like it ends up being like, especially now in this current version, like twelve to seventeen dollars a month, right? Which is not going to make a big difference to most people. So one of the things that I think this result sort of raises is, you know, is this number better than it would have been if they had done, you know, if they hadn't done this, or is it worse because they did? Yeah, and that's the thing I don't know. I mean, to some degree, I'm not sure that they didn't actually just, you know, take this issue that was already kind of sitting out there and as a sore spot for voters, and actually yeah. kind of raise the fact that, well, we can't really do anything meaningful about it. Right. But here you go. Yeah, it's like there's this wound out there, and instead of treating it, you just kind of scratched at it. Yeah. <laughs> you know. There's, yeah. I, I mean, mean, it's kind of the feeling you get. You know, and and I think at the macro level, there's another. You know, as we think about going into an election season, and and we think about you know, how we come to terms with the 87th legislature and what they did. The things at the bottom of that list are both, you know, to be fair, really difficult. Yeah. Right? I mean, look, they they were going to have a lot of, they weren't going to just restructure the electric market. They weren't just, you know, there were a lot of policy issues despite, you know, a certain populist discourse around it. Mm Mm-hmm. With just giving consumers a bunch of money back. Yeah. Right? I mean, that sounds great, but you yeah. know, the inherent complication of the system is a problem, right? But, you know, how much money could you have spent that you're, you know, of that? If you had taken, say, the extra $2 billion we added to mm-hmm. border security, and this is a, I'm gonna, an admittedly simplistic and stupid way of thinking about it. Okay. But I'm going to say it anyway. Yeah, no, which is, But if you took that $2 billion mm-hmm. and moved it, that pile of money over to doing something that might have at least reduced the degree to which the companies are going to now charge consumers over a long period of time, might that have been a fairly popular move? And might the billion, billion and a half on border security maybe have been enough until, you know, you just raise the bar? I don't know. And, you know, that's like a fantasy football league or something right or you know marvel versus dc (laughs) say in your lane buddy (laughs) right but um but it's an interesting question when you look at at you know how tough it is to handle these really hard issues i mean you talked about you know you own if you're if you're the republican party right now you own the policy environment Mm -hmm. and one possible implication of just kind of the narrative that you were spinning out a minute ago is that you know, they're pretty good at what seems like the quote unquote easy stuff. Yeah. Right. But they're 
but they're not as good when it comes to, you know, the really hard stuff, you know, and, and, you know, in a podcast we did with, you know, one of our colleagues and I, I, you know, Darren Shaw kind of mentioned in the Tribcast something about, you know, the weakness of the citizen legislature. And I didn't want to jump in there, but since he's not here, I'll do yeah, it now. Yeah, perfect. But, but there is a sense in which, you know, there's a, I think a more persuasive contending explanation there, which is, you know, the stakeholder and interest group universe is much harder to handle mm-hmm. on issues like energy and property taxes mm-hmm. than appealing to very powerful, one, you know, kind of lopsided Republican constituencies on guns and other kinds of issues well, that we've seen the legislature acting on. Well, you know, another issue at the bottom that's very simple was K-12 through public education. Right, exactly. That's an the example, other one we haven't touched on. But what's interesting is this is the one that actually breaks the pattern, right? So overall, 26% approved of how they did this, 42% disapproved of their handing of K-12. through That's up from 30% disapproval in June. Now, this is driven by Democrats. Right. So whereas Republicans, you know, there's a slight increase in disapproval, actually, over the period, but but pretty slight. Among Democrats, the shared disapproval of how the legislature handled this uh, K through 12 public ed went from 46% to 63%. Right. So pretty big jump. Share of independence went from 31 to 46. Another big jump. Again, net negative for all those groups. Uh, And among Republicans, you know, just to round it out, it went from 42-16 approved, disapproved in June to 42-23 in October, which I think reflects the fact that all the sort of consternation around, you know, critical race theory and transgender students, which was Again, you know, which was present in every single special session and then sort of this turn now to the books. Yeah. You know, it's 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 a complicated space. Well, with the overlay of, you know, the things that we talked about that were so front and center in our August Texas Politics Project poll, which was just the incredible amount of churn and conflict that accompanied back to school Mm -hmm. in the final phases of the Delta variant surge. Yeah. As we were saying last time, you know, we were talking about it last time and we kind of ended up in talking about public education and the kind of ideological mm-hmm. space and, you know, the struggle we, over books. And, and we recorded that. that before the the Virginia results. Right, exactty. It was, you know, yeah, we're, anyway, yeah, powder, we're, you know whatever. But <laughs> You know, if you look at it sideways at about a 45 degree angle, we were ahead of the game. Yeah, a little, by, yeah by about <laughs> you have six, to turn your head six and hours. Kind of squint one eye. But, right. you know, we one could say we were in front of that. Um but I think, you know, separating all that out, I mean, public education has just become such a roiled space, no matter where you look. I mean, some of these longstanding issues mm-hmm. of curriculum and, and, again, what I think of as, you know, control over socialization or influence over socialization, but with the overlay of all this churning. You know, I mean, I think to me, when I look at, and this is kind of a transition maybe to, to what this says for the state of, you know, we could do a quick kind of where we are going into the elections now with yeah. all this. But I mean, to me, I look at the sort of the K through 12 public education space and there's sort of kind of two broad observations I'd make, right? Uh, one is it's just remarkable, I think, you know, the shift in attitudes towards, you know, teachers and schools and, and just, you know, the sense of these are generally considered pillars of communities. And, you know, just like your congressperson, everybody hates Congress, but they love their congressman. Right. And same thing in Poland. You know, you can say what you want about the public education system. People have all kinds of problems with it. Do you like the school your kid goes to? Oh, yeah. Do you like the schools in your neighborhood? Absolutely. Do you want to pay teachers more? Oh, yeah. 100%. Of course, everybody loves teachers, right? Although... We're kind of, you know, we're in the space right now where the, the, you know, sort of the antipathy towards the, you know, the public education system, you know, on the right around some of these issues is really, it's going to be interesting. But the other thing I would say, the other kind of observation, and this relates to the election season, is I think, you know, the K-12 public education space, I think in the 2020, 
22 cycles, kind of like what defunding the police was in 2020. I think it's an issue that, uh, you know, Republican voters are nearly unanimous on. Right. It specifically targets a lot of suburban voters where the political competition is. And Democrats have two problems. One, they may agree on what the problems are. They don't have a solution or how they want to deploy that solution in public schools in a way that, you know, clearly there's clearly there's no solution that everyone's going to agree with. That's the first thing. Um, But also you've got an an interesting split here on some of these issues, not necessarily the racial stuff, but with, you know, say the more social stuff around gender identity and things like that, where you have, you know, a very progressive white electorate that's kind of, you know, I think most active in the fundraising space and in the primaries. And then you've got a majority non-white electorate that holds less progressive views on a lot of these issues at the moment. This is going to change, going to move but, I mean, I don't think we're going to stop hearing about this issue. No, I mean, I, I can't remember. It was either Axios or Politico Playbook this morning. Was I think it was probably Axios yeah. talking about the way that education has emerged in a surprising way as a Republican issue, as potentially a Republican issue right. in the in the cycle along the lines that you're saying. Well, it's, and, that it's, and that it's, you know, one more, you know, problem for Democrats because that's something that traditionally they've – yeah, it's a great. They've had an advantage. In. That's such a great issue ownership. So the you know, issue ownership idea is that you know, right. you know, there are certain you know, if the election is about certain issues, it's going to advantage one part or the other. You know, historically, you'd say, well, like policing and crime, like that's a Republican issue because you know, no Democrats are going to want to spend as much on policing and, and that kind of thing, or be as you know, punitive as Republicans will. Except for Bill Clinton, who said, well, let's just put all the cops on right. the street. That works. But this is the same with education, right? Where education is normally a Democratic issue because ultimately no Republicans are going to spend more on education than Democrats. Well, Democrats can always spend more on education. But what if it's not about spending? Well, it's about, it, you know, discussions around sensitive social issues and people's kids. Well, and I would flag, you know, one of the things that's going to be interesting to watch yet again is New York City with a former police officer, Democratic, yeah. African-American mayor who is trying to carve out a, you know, to use your example, I mean, it's a little, you know, I mean, I I wouldn't say this necessarily other than to just reference, you know, a kind of a Bill Mm Clinton-esque space on policing in New York City. And, you know, that is a very loaded issue in New York, but that Democrats have often dealt with in this more, you know, quote-unquote centrist way, Mm -hmm. you know, even at the height of, of... discussions of over policing yeah I mean, and it's so and it's so subject to the you know the cyclical was, co- context of crime and say, which, which which party do you think increased all those pensions right exactly <laughs> <laughs> so that's all very interesting and I and I think it is going to be interesting to watch that and again and I, and I think we'll put a pin in this for next time but you know that there's a discussion that we still need to have I think about the nationalization of politics mm-hmm how that's manifest in Texas. It's another one of those kind of, you know, oh, circus, you know, cir- er, you know, uh, circle with arrows, right? Right. But it's playing out in very interesting ways here. And it's going to it's gonna play out elsewhere in the cycle. And y- it's pretty unpredictable, I think. And so, I mean, it's broad outlines are, are crushingly predictable. Right. The specifics are not. I mean, that's the thing. I think if you were, if we were in any other, if, if you know, setting aside how active the legislature was this past session, how active the governor has been and out front, uh, and how incredibly negatively Democratic opinion has turned against all Republicans in the state. You know, if it weren't for that, I would say, well, this is, you know, clear. I mean, I'd say this is going to be a, a good, you know, a, an overwhelmingly good year for Republicans, probably in state because of what's going on in the national environment. I still think it's going to be a good year for Republicans in here just because of, you know, 
a lot of reasons we can talk about a different podcast. Uh, but I think, you know, you look at these these attitude sets and there's no limit to the number of issues that Democratic candidates can use to mobilize voters here in Texas. Right. If we had if there was a Democratic candidate at the top of the ticket, that'd be great. Well, that would do that would do something. I heard you know what I heard? I heard I heard that um, Beto O'Rourke, he's going to he's going to announce Monday. Oh, yeah. Oh, wait. Well, that was, was that last, last Monday? Mon- oh, no, wait. I think it was Monday before last. I think it was both of those Oh, wait. Mondays. Maybe it's not. Na- I don't know. But I it's it's coming, I hear. Oh, well, I'm waiting. You know, wait- he sent out an email. I'm waiting. Yeah, I get those. There's a lot of them. Okay, we'll end on snark. Thanks to Josh <laughs> for being here. Thanks to uh, our crew here in the excellent audio studio in the Liberal Arts Development Studio at the University of Texas at Austin. Uh, thanks to you for listening, and we'll be back next week. Second Reading Podcast is a production of the Texas Politics Project at the University of Texas at Austin. 